Hey y'all, it's your girl Naisha Stone, and you're listening to the Carved in Stone podcast, where our positive news articles come to life. Now let's get into the episode. Hey, 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 y'all. Welcome back to Carving Stone Podcast. And yes, you have guessed it. Another media person from around the world going to talk about the media things and journalism. So get used to it. Get ready for it. Um, I'm going to hop right into this week's guest. We have Danielle Young, who is a writer, a journalist, producer, host, comedian, and queen of commentary. So she does a lot. And I'm just excited to break down like how she's been really able to grow her career. So how you doing, Danielle? I'm amazing. Thank you for having me. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for, you know, being here. Um, One of the first things I want to talk about before we even talk about your career is in your bio, you were saying that you're behind Denzel Washington, Um, you know, rapping Bodak Yellow. So can yeah. you please talk about that? Because I think that's hilarious. So can you please talk about that? <laughs> yes, of course. Um, Okay, so this interview was a couple of years ago, back when I used to work at The Root in New York City. Um, and Denzel was in a play and I don't know why I'm drawing a blank on the name of the play, um, but I'm sure you can, you can get it in post-production. Uh, so we got the, uh, basically got this like media alert, um, that he was doing some press for that play. And as a journalist, you know, especially working at a black publication, you don't always get the the pitches. You don't always get the A-list talent. You don't always get the access um, especially to like sit down and do interviews. So when we got this media uh, alert, we were just like, oh, we could just roll up and just grab a quick Denzel Washington interview. That would be amazing. Myself and my producer, Ashley Velez. And so we got our stuff, scrappy, our cameras, our light. We headed down to the venue to do the interview. Um, a lot of people were there with their recorders, you know, typical recorder journalism thing but we wanted to get a Denzel moment so we brought camera we brought lights and it wasn't a venue like it was a I want to say like a restaurant venue or something like that but it wasn't set up (laughs) for interviews or anything it was dark in there so we're glad that we brought all the lights and there was like a press line almost similar to like a red carpet but not a carpet at all just like a press line and so it started and he's starting to do his little you know, one-on-ones with folks, but they like maybe three or four interviews ahead of us, they, the powers that be came over to us and asked us if we could move locations, not a problem, but we had like got there early, set up the lights, had the whole thing ready. And so we were like, okay. And so now we're moving as he's moving closer (laughs) and we didn't get a chance to fully set ourselves up in the way that we were before. And he comes over and I'm just feeling the pressure of just trying to make everything, make sure everything is right, make sure the mic is on, make sure the lights. And I'm trying to like stall to help my producing partner, like get herself together a little bit. Um, and in that stalling, I think it was just like there was an ability to to have small talk, a little bit of small talk. Um, and so I just like mentioned Cardi B. Um, I don't even know why, to be honest. I think it was at the time she was having a moment. Um, her career was blossoming. She was blossoming. Her music career was blowing up. 
Um, and she was running into some some newfound fame. And so I was just like, well, what like what kind of advice would you give to somebody like Cardi B who's out here, blah, 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 blah. I don't, I literally don't know why I asked this, <laughs> this man that. And um he he gained, he came with his Denzel uncle dad of the year advice. Um, but then he was like, Yeah, 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 what'd she say? And then I'm like, He's not about to rap, is he? <laughs> he was like, yeah, what she say? He buy me East Salem Rock and a new whip. And I was like, he was like, yeah, you don't think I know that? And I was like, I really, <laughs> I had no idea you even knew who she was, much less knew Bodak Yellow. But of course, you know, Bodak Yellow has been probably one of her more successful songs since her career has started. But it was just one of those moments where <laughs> it just everything seemed like it was not working out and then it just everything just aligned in such a cool way um and so when we put that out we were so excited we didn't even put anything out around the the, the play he was <laughs> he was promoting and we put that out and uh as you know with the media um things get regurgitated things get used things get try to get, I guess, uh, remixed people to pick up your stuff and run with it. And so that happened. Um, Denzel did a sit down with Charlemagne. Um, shout out to Charlemagne. At least it's a black, <laughs> a black person that he sat down with, but Charlemagne basically got him to do Bodak Yellow again <laughs> on his show. And I was just like, that was my thing. Uh -huh. Um, <laughs> but that's cool so it kind of like went re-viral again but yeah we I was the start of Denzel Washington doing Bodak Yellow give my girl Daniel Young her uh, her credit though right here on Carver Stone Podcast yes. I do want to talk about the press lines because I am now getting used to press lines and how they work and what I'm seeing is just like how you said Black reporters, Black-owned media companies, we do not get access to these type of things. But you just showed that when we're there and we have our presence there, we make a complete difference because people are not asking the questions that we are and people are not. They just yeah. don't. They don't do what we do. Um, and so that brings us to a point on your website. You said one good question at a time. I love that because yeah. a lot of people don't ask good questions. So for you personally, what makes a good question and how do you start to form questions um, when you're on the when you're interviewing on a spot like that, because I know it's like to get there early, set yeah. up, and they be like, mm -mm, "We need you to, we need you to move." And now you now your whole <laughs> mindset messed up, but then you still got to do the interview. So like, what, right. what what comes into that process of creating a good question for you? Um, I've just always been a curious person. I've always had questions as a kid. I've always asked questions, sometimes inappropriate, sometimes you know it would get me popped. Um, and it's funny because I think back in my mom definitely used to tell me as a kid that my mouth was going to get me in trouble one day. Um, but I think it was just, I, I'm, I'm a woman of a certain age. My mom is a black woman of a certain age. You're raised to not be seen or heard sometimes as a black woman. Um, and so I think she was putting her own raising and respect to poli respectability politics on me. Um, which kind of, you know, stifled my voice in a little, in, 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 a, in a few ways growing up. And I think um, in finding journalism and developing that as a interest and, and then as a craft, I just, I've always been obsessed with asking questions and getting answers. So 
I don't think it's ever been a part of me and and as a journalist to be like, oh, how do I ask good questions? I think it's just always been, how do I get the information that I want to know? How do I get things that are going to be helpful for me? Um, and I remember my very first, like, you know how in college you take, you get your major, you take the, the prerequisites and all that. I remember my first journalism class, not communications, not like straight journalism. And the class spent a lot of time with interviews and they paired us up and had us do interview each other and basically make a story from that interview. And that was my first time really being able to like do something like that. I, I remember in high school, I interviewed my grandma for a family tree thing, but that was my first time feeling like, oh, wow, I get to help like shape someone's story. Um, cause with my grandma, when I did that in high school, it was more like a, oh, wow, this is actually pretty cool to learn all this information that like, cause I don't know how many people sit around and like genuinely chat with their grandmother or their great grandmother, but like doing that as a kid, I was like, oh, wow, this is so cool. Like I'm getting to learn things that I didn't know before. Um, but in that class in college, it opened my mind up and I realized then that the questions really, really matter. Um, and I kept getting that message throughout my career. I remember uh, my first Emmys and uh, it was also the first time that I had gone back, well, not backstage. Uh, well, I guess you can call it that, but the press room after the, after the carpet, during the award show, as a member of the press, you're usually in a backstage area holding space um, and they send in winners typically. And so I remember being in that room. First of all, <laughs> when you work the carpet, a lot of times you're just tired and dehydrated by the time you're finished. Hungry and all that. Literally. So I just remember thinking to myself, I just need to sit down. And I had access to the press room. So I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to go back there and drink some water, sit down, organize like what I just got off the carpet. And then I realized people were working back here. And I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. So I just, you know, waited and, uh, started seeing the winners come in and I was like, obviously I work for black publications. So I'm waiting on black winners. And I uh, remember actually this was before the Emmys. This was a, what show was this? I think NAACP awards. Yes. And I remember like this, I'm, I'm watching how everything is going down and they brought in, um, Blackish, because you know, blackish always sweeps in the police CD. Mm -hmm. And I remember somebody asking, How are you most like your character? And I don't believe there's anything, no such thing as a bad question. But I just remember thinking, like, you wasting these people's time. Like blackish had been on for so many years at this point. It's not even the type of show where you're just like needing that answer. You know what I mean? Like, I can see if you were working on something specific as a store, but like, I just was like, gosh, these people are really wasting precious time back here. Like, this is, these are people that are like, this is a great night. They're in a high spirits. We could ask them so many things. And so once they brought uh, Black Panther out, uh, the cast of Black Panther, including uh, Rest in Peace, Chad, Chad Bozeman, he was the one that took the mic. And I said, you know what? I'm not about to waste my time back here and waste these people's time. I'm going to ask a real question. 
And so when they called on me, I had asked Chadwick. Now this is, no one knew anything about his health. No one knew, you know, he wasn't even uh, presenting sick. So it was just, this was just me trying to ask a good question with someone like Chadwick Boseman on stage. And I asked him about living and walking in your purpose. And I remember him, and that clip has also gone viral. It continues to uh, spread. And I remember him because he was like, oh, you want me to go to church? And I was like, because mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like somebody like you, I want to know. And so he started talking about his purpose and what it is and all that. And of course, now that he's gone, it means so much more. But even in, in the time where he was here, it still meant so much. And I remember somebody even turning around to me and going, wow, that was a really great question. And I was like, I know. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> I, like this is, this is the journalism. I don't care what the venue is. The timing is the ability, because usually I, I do a lot of interviews where I don't have a lot of time, red carpet, junkets that be like four minutes. I always have to think fast and think of something that's going to give me something I can work with. Um, and I think that's where it comes from, having these moments where I know I don't have a lot of access. Uh, I know I probably don't have a lot of time but I want to bring something back that is going to be big enough that I can file a story, but also it can live. It can continue to, to be something greater. Um, so I've had a lot of really awesome moments like that. And I think it just speaks towards not only just what a, like one good question at a time to where you, you know, you mentioned, but just, what you can do with even the tiniest little thing. You know what I mean? I totally know what you mean. And I'm, I'm that even makes my point even more that we have to be in a room because, because we don't have access, you know, they always say we got to be two times as better. But yeah. our, our counterparts, our white reporters, they're always in a room. So then they'll ask a question. So what did you eat today? I was on a press line. So it's for the American um, Society of Magical Negroes. Oh, and yes. David Allen Greer, shout out to this mm -hmm. PR person because that was the only reason I got this interview. But they were spending like seven, six minutes interviewing them. They like, y'all need to do a group interview. I did not come all the way to Utah to do no group interview. I was like, y'all can have it. So, a right, so it was a whole bunch of white reporters that were trying to group us together. And she said to me, she looked me in my face and this is why his PR person gave it to me. Shout out to this black woman. She looked at me and was like, this, the, the the film was called American Society of Magical Negroes. She gonna ask, she wanted to ask David Allen Greer, um, so something about white people. It's just something about like that was her question, was like, so white people, da, da, da. and I looked at her and I looked at the PR person, and I'm like, Are you kidding me? This in the yeah. in, in in the title it said Negroes, and you're still <laughs> going to flip it. To put it about you. And I was like, no, I don't want this question. Y'all can have this. But then shout out to this black woman who saw me and she brought David Allen Greer down there. And I end up asking him, um, you know, what keeps you going so long? Like, how are you able to last so long in this career? He said, because of my childish, because of my childish spirit. And like that thing, like ended up going like really great on social media. But it was like, we need us to be in a room to ask us questions. Exactly. Because why there's nuance there. Thank you, because like, what there. does that have to do with the film or him or why are you asking about white people? Like, like, what is why? Like, like <laughs> what is? But see that I've seen that so many times, right? Especially on red carpets, like 
our own legends walking by and people not even reaching out, not even trying to speak to them, but we know who they are and we'll get to them. Um, and then they see it and then they want to, they want to replicate that. They want, oh, oh, can we, uh, no, you Oh missed. my God, I hate that. Yeah. Or they put their mic trying to get your snip. Yes. And it's like, oh no, I know exactly who that is. I'm going to interview that person. You might be ignoring them, but I'm going to get that. Um, but that is just, that's the research. That's us being in the culture. Um, you can't teach a lot of that stuff. I remember one of my first editors told me, um, she was like the internet and this, you know, this is like, t what, 20, no, not even 20. We were doing like 2009, <laughs> 2009, 2010. But uh, this was a time where the internet, you know, it's, it's ramping up. We're using it a lot as a source and everything. And she told me the internet moves fast. You're not going to have time to catch up. You need to be well-read enough to know what is already going on and you refresh but you can't start from zero every day. So it's like being well-read, being uh, consuming pop culture and and all it's research. As a journalist, it's research to be ever consuming. It could be overwhelming and it could be very tiring, but it's just being in the know. And that doesn't, I don't, I don't ever wanna just be like, oh, white people. Cause I've done, you know, I've done that throughout my career, be, but I'm thinking me personally think I'm lifting up black people, not trying to put down white people, but I, it pains me that across the board, white people or people who are not us or of color um, can get away with being ignorant and um I don't know the word unstudied, you know, un just they can get away with that. Um, and no shade to anybody, but I think about people like Bobby, whatever her name is, a uh, white girl who's gone viral with all her black interviews. And I thought it was over and now Sukiana's up there and those clips keep going. Um, and it just, I've never sat down and watched any of it to be, to be quite honest. So me commenting is only from, social media clips. Um, but it seems like they're they're she's she's exactly what we know is true. You could get everything and know nothing if you fit this demographic, if you fit this this particular thing that society likes. I don't know why it's working for her. Um because we have our counterparts, you know, like we have funny satires and stuff, people doing interviews, funny Marco and Z-Way and all that, but they don't get, they don't get what Bobby gets now. Z-Way did get her a show. She did get her a show. Um, but it just, I don't know, it just perplexes me that across the board, and I think about like as a journalist and going to junkets, Pre-pandemic, it's sort of kind of still now, but pre-pandemic, when you would go to junkets, they would have a makeup artist um, on, I don't you can't call it on set, but a setup, they would have a makeup artist set up to do touch-ups and stuff like that. And I remember this movie, uh, Detroit, that I actually went to Detroit for the junket and I went to get my touch-up um, and I had done my own makeup. So I was just like, oh yeah, just, you know, this lady, 
she literally there was a black woman there also doing she wasn't doing glam she was doing uh grooming for men and the celebrities that were you know the the stars um and she, but she, as a black woman she was there and the white lady that was about to do my face literally went to her and said i don't know how to do her uh her skin now you see my skin right I ain't got nothing crazy would be killing that me would I... make it seem like you would need a special skill set, right? Like I could see if I, you know, had some, some texture issues or whatever, but also I was coming for a touch up, babes. So you just admitted that you got hired and you have no skills to do the job. <laughs> like all the stars in the movie are black men. And you were still hired to be a makeup artist on this junket. So they be so scared to give us money and to support us. And when they do hire a black makeup artist or a black reporter, they are not paying us nowhere near giving us the access, nothing. You're just but happy just, to be here. It really, yeah. Like I, I hate to like go off on a tangent like that, but it just at so many stages in my career, I have just seen the evidence of black people needing to be everything and and white folks really not having to try at all like <laughs> like for real i i, I, I agree with you because like literally because like, I, I i i study i really think i'm gonna ask questions i really think i'm gonna interview it and i study I reach out to like journalists like you, okay, you've been on a press line, so how do you get to this point? You provide me advice and all that stuff. But then I see somebody randomly who getting an interview with Drake or who is interviewing this black celebrity. And I don't even think black celebrities realize how often they're only interviewing with white reporters. Like that's a thing that we need to put out in the forefront. Why is it when you get on a press line, the first people you always you spend seven minutes with are usually a white reporter. But the time you get to a black reporter, you let your PR person tell you only one question. Why didn't you let them See, say anything? A lot of people don't know or don't realize or don't care that they can say something. Like another Chadwick Boseman story. Um, he was in a movie. Um, I'm blanking on this, but 21 something, 21 Bridges or something like that. And this carpet was small, but of course I'm there because we don't get a lot of invites and y'all said chat with Bozeman starring in this thing. So I'm gonna go and get my chat with Bozeman interview. Even on this small carpet, that that was still happening, right? right? Where the ease and the whoever, the Hollywood whatever's at the beginning are getting all this time. But Chadwick took it upon himself to give every reporter standing there with a microphone or recorder, mm -hmm. an iPhone, whatever they had, he gave every single person a real interview. I ain't even talking like red carpet, let you get three questions. Like he really talked to the point where the people who were after me, you know, it usually goes <laughs> the ebony or the essence. We usually get the first black sp space and then it'll be, you know, whoever else. And so those people were there and his publicist was mad. Like, we got to get inside. Like, he was like, they're not going to start the movie without me. Like, let me give these people three minutes. Like, it's not that big of a deal. And I just watched that and I was just like, that, it takes people to do stuff like that. It takes interruptions. A friend of mine 
who's no longer a journalist. She she's doing uh, some different work, but she while she was a journalist, she asked at an award show. Sterling K. Brown was backstage with his that award. That was her. That was my friend Jalisa, and she asked basically like, "Yo." do you notice that there's no black people and if they are it's like one or two and he took a second and he looked and he saw it and now that seed is planted in him so now going forward he will say something or he will try to you know what I mean like his publicist can do some things and say some things and you can't but it takes it takes some interruptions it takes people to actually notice what's going on to be able to like switch it up. So I think that in itself is empowering, right? Like you don't have to be this seasoned journalist with all, you, you do so respectfully, like don't get out there and start flipping tables and stuff. <laughs> but there's ways, and we have seen that there are ways to do so respectfully just to shake it up. I'm glad you brought it because that's so dope that she your friend because I was just telling my videographer I was literally like because we were experiencing stuff on a press line and I was just like I really don't think they pay attention to it and then I brought up a scenario when she asked that question because I'm like do celebrities really know that they are literally walking class us as report as black reporters like do they know yeah. I don't I'm like and, and if you do know do you care and that's another thing too. Like, does it matter to you, or are you just trying to get your story out? Because then it's a whole nother, it's a whole nother thing. But going back to you, hey. <laughs> we're going back to you, Danielle. So, what is it about journalism that you were like, "Yep, I want to do a career in this"? Hmm. Well, I think when I went to college, I was trying to be a psychologist. Um. And that first psychology class really sucked. I did not love that. <laughs> I did not. I got a really bad grade um, in it. And I was like, ooh, maybe not this. Um, so I think that was the catalyst, to be honest. Because I've always been a writer. I've, I've always had journals. Um, I have millions of journals. And... That's always been a thing, but I was told by my guidance counselor in, in high school um, because I was like, I want to be an author. <laughs> like, I want to write. Like, I want to write for a living. Um, and she was like, that's not really like a, a job that's like more of a hobby. And I was like, huh? So I just thought, oh, that's dumb. I shouldn't major in uh, literature was going to be my major. <laughs> I was going to be this writer. Uh, and she was like, yeah, I don't, maybe you should do a double major or consider something else. So that also planted a seed as I went into college, which made me think, oh, psychology could be cool. Cause I'm doing basically what I wanted, which was listening to people tell me their business, but I can't share it <laughs> essentially. So I was just <laughs> like, okay, this will work. But when it didn't work, I found journalism. Like it was, I remember just thinking, okay, I need to take all of the requirements. And I ended up in a um, a communications course as a requirement course for the degree in general. Um, and in that communications course, I really fell in love. It was uh, basically like an intro to communications. It taught us a lot about the media, agenda setting, and all this kind of stuff. And I was just like, this is really freaking interesting. Like I could have a career like this, like really dig 
taken into TV and film and our behaviors and how the media affects everything. So I was really into the psychological effects of it. Um, and then I had a counselor or an advisor, they called him in college, and she opened my my brain up to different parts of communication, which included journalism. Um, and she was like, I think this could actually be something that could be workable for you. And I was like, okay, let's check it out. And that's literally how it happened. Um, I, like it's thinking back, I'm like, wow, I really always used to love magazines. And if my mom would go to the hairdresser, I would always <laughs> steal a magazine from the hairdresser and like read it cover to cover. Um, you know, looking at the people's names that are working in the magazines. I was like, this could, this is really like connected. I thought it was so cool that it came back to, to be a career that pretty much kind of was with me ever since I was a kid. You you never know. Life be like, I'm going to show you these little, Life these will little show nuggets. You everything. Yeah. Like you got to go with so it. Crazy. Yeah. Cause as I work on my book that I've been just like sitting on for a while, um, a while, like four years, just like sitting on the proposal. I, it's a, like a lot of reliving of, of my younger years and stuff. And it's just like a lot of the dots that you can connect as an, as an adult, that happened in your life, it's really, it's special. It's really special. So I'm, I'm grateful that I've seen um, journalism, storytelling, writing, all of that throughout my life in this way. I love it. I'm glad that we have you in the industry because like, it's so dope just oh. to, you know, to be in your presence. So Girl, you, were... <laughs> say, you say that, but I am just like, what? thank you. I, I It's not take easy. It in, take it in. Yeah. And I'm going through a transition even now post-pandemic, just trying to figure out what's what do I want to do with this career? How do I want to move? How do I want to share? Um, so I'm in this like renaissance. Um, and I shared with you my first bio of like this newness. It's still, you know, obviously got to tell you my career, but I'm trying to figure out like how I'm even talking about myself um, because I'm not the same content creator I've been. Um, I want to lean more into my professionalism as a journalist and a, a thought leader. So I'm I'm really trying to take stock and also know that I've done the work. We just know that like people are looking up to you and you have done a lot of work. So you're you're more than you you have every power to do whatever you want to do, whether that is right. continuing in journalism or completely switching it and doing whatever you want. But I feel like as black women, we don't always we we be so hard on ourselves like, OK, oh, I need yeah. to know right now what I am doing, because if I don't, they're going to forget about me. And I'm gonna and that's not true. It's not true. Mm -mm, mm -mm. It's not true. I've had so many moments happen where people I love and admire have come up to me at events and things like people like Janelle Monet, people like Jill Scott. And I've just been like, what? And they'd be like, oh, my God, everything that you're doing. And, and I'm like. I ain't posting like six months and I, and I would be like hard on myself about it. And I had a friend be like, girl, what you have done is so important and so impactful that people are still. Exactly. We, they we still a, feel you. Yeah. We live in a social media world where it's like, I gotta, I always gotta keep posting. But if you're I always live by your content or your, or if you are that quality, 
you can stop making music, literally. If your album was that good, because we still listen to music from 50s, 60s. I'm still listening to Lauryn Hill. I'm still... <laughs> and, and ain't nothing wrong with it. Anita Baker. If it's good, it's good. Thank you for that. If it's good, it's good. If it's and great, I, it's I great. That. And you doing good. I just found random fact, but I just found out Sade... That that's not her name. Like I I didn't know for one yeah, that I was got a, like a very African. It's, name. It's, no, it's I thought it was like I believe it's Helen or something like that. But it's like something. But it's not Sade. I I don't know why I'm bringing it's in it up. there. Yeah, Sade, but I'm Sade is in there. Yeah, but I'm like I was so I text my daddy like, did you know this? Like, <laughs> <laughs> but we're running out of time. So just to wrap up the interview, when people listen to this interview, what do you want them to get from it? Um, you know. I always think about this loosely quote, this Audrey Lord thought of basically it's up to us to define ourselves for ourselves, right? So that we don't get crunched up into other people's realities or thoughts of, of who we are and what we are, right? And I say loosely quote because I always get it wrong, but I know the <laughs> I know the know of it. Um and I think, you know, this this world, this industry, this internet can have you lost or have you feel lost or have you feel like you're not good enough or this influencer is doing that and this person is at the Grammys and this person is moving to LA, whatever, right? It's, you have to know exactly who you are and that will shift. And so you get to know exactly who you are every time that shifts. And I think that we put so much pressure on ourselves to be a certain thing, to look a certain way, to be, to fit all these impossible and honestly not even real things when it's us that's real. It's us who is the meat of our lives, right? And it's like, if you hear nothing else from this interview, hear that you are enough and who you are and you get to define exactly who and what you are. Other people can't do that, right? Like I've been in this game for over what is my 18th year as a journalist. Um, and I've had to define myself throughout that time. And there have been times where I didn't know who I was. And even that is okay because it's it's a it's a journey and i think that people see people like me and, oh she got it all together mm -mm, babes <laughs> i don't i am a mess but i'm a very blessed mess and so i'll i'll, I'll fall apart but i pick up the pieces too right and i think people should know that people like me are the same as people like whoever it is watching me thinking that I'm up here. Like it, I, I'm not, <laughs> I've just been, I've just been here for a, a good amount of time and I'm grateful to be here, but it is all just a moment by moment thing. And you do not have to have it figured out and you do not have to have it all buttoned up and cute right like it can be a mess and you will be all right you'll it be all right be it can be a mess it can Man. be a mess i ain't got nothing else to say to that but thank you Danielle <laughs> young this is the carved stone podcast and remember in the end everything will be carved in stone in the end 
everything will be carved in stone.